Chelsea Fairless and welcome back to another episode of the Every Outfit podcast. Today we will be going to the end of Sex in the City. Well, almost the end. We're going to be discussing American Girl in Paris part one or part un. Part un, bitch. It's part un. It's an episode that's seared into my memory, but not one that I've rewatched, I realize. What about yourself? I feel like I've watched these episodes a lot because when I start at season three or four I usually just see it through to the end a real completist yeah so before we dive into this episode I guess for those who are uninitiated I don't know I just feel like we should say that the last moments of the previous episode are the Carrie Miranda fight the don't you go to Paris with him fight yes and the previous episode ends with her and Petrovsky having a very Dr. Zhivago moment where they're on a sled. They're going through Central Park on a horse-drawn sled. And I feel like that's the last episode that feels like a proper episode of Sex in the City. Not that this totally doesn't, but the format of it is different than most of the episodes. There is no I couldn't help but wonder. Well, she gave up her column. Yeah, it's because our girl doesn't have a job anymore. It's so interesting going back and watching these episodes in light of the films and certainly in light of two seasons of In Just Like That because a lot of, I realize, what we were going to get in and Just Like That has its roots in here with the fact that it's like, in Michael Patrick King's mind, it's like, if she doesn't have her column, she has no perspective. She has no voiceover. Yeah. Unless I need to use it to establish some exposition, and then I will bring the voiceover back. Well, this episode does start with a voiceover, but it is very brief. And Carrie says, some outfits wait a lifetime to be taken somewhere special. The same can be true of people. Carrie is packing to go to Paris. Of course, in true Carrie fashion, she has left this till the final moments. But thank God that she's packed enough because she's checking her messages. One is from Petrovsky. You can't wait to see her. And then the second is from Miranda, who's like, you're leaving. I guess this is really happening. So I've made reservations hours before you're going to leave for a flight. The dinner is at six and her flight is at nine or she has to leave at nine. Not a move I would do. We also get a real Michael Patrick King phrasing, which is merci de budo go to Paris. And then big calls again. Big calls. He's in town because remember at this point he lives in Napa and he's uh, trying to establish contact. Yes, because he's left a message a few episodes before because I will always remember when she tells Miranda that she's deleted Big and she goes, did you call Big to tell him that you deleted him? <laughs> There's a voiceover that it's like 15 minutes to six. I was on my way to our version of The Last Supper and who is waiting out there but Mr. Big being driven by Raul. The last time we see Raul. And he makes Raul stand in the cold. That's probably why he's like, I'm tired of waiting in this Upper East Side Street in the cold. Well, Carrie's like, don't let Raul wait out in the cold. And he's like, I tip like a Rockefeller. He's like, I know he's dying, but I'm going to tip him generously. Well, I have to imagine seeing that big left for Napa that he's like, hey, I'm coming into town because remember Carrie? Remember when I said she wasn't the marrying kind and I was just gaslighting her a couple years ago? Well, anyway, I think she's the one. I fucked up. Can you drive me around for a while? Yeah, doesn't Raul 
will have another client at this point? Or is he just like on retainer? I assume that Big was like, no, no, no. You have to cancel all other driving obligations. I need you so that I can sit outside of Carrie's apartment and hope that she's just going to walk out of the door, which she does. So great. She gets into the car. Mr. Big's like, why haven't you called? I was starting to feel like a needy chick. That line is what all women who have been with an emotionally unavailable men want. They want to make men feel like the needy chicks that these men have made us feel like. Absolutely. But this was a very cute little joke, I thought, from Mr. Big. We get peak Mr. Big in these two episodes. He's never been more charming. Yeah, I mean, it's almost out of character, the way that he is behaving. He apologizes for his behavior that we saw in the domino effect. Carrie's like... It's fine. Don't worry about it. We don't need to chat. Like, I'm late for dinner. It made me realize that Carrie, for a writer, is a terrible communicator. Like, just say, hey, man, you acted terribly. That incident made me realize we're never going to end up together. So I moved on. Like, goodbye. Mr. Big wants more. I think she gets so upset because she does, too. And she's just so annoyed that he's put her in this position yet again. But I think this whole confrontation with Mr. Big is so satisfying Let's just drop some of the audio here. Are you moving to Paris? When were you going to tell me? What, you're not even going to tell me who he is? His name is Alexander Petrovsky. You're moving to France with a Ruski? Oh, come on. It's a joke, Carrie. You do this every time. Every time. What, do you have some kind of radar? Carrie might be happy it's time to sweep in and shit all over it. What? No, no, look, I came here to tell you something. I made a mistake. You and I... You and I... Nothing! You cannot do this to me again! You cannot jerk me around! Carrie, listen, it is different Oh, it's not... never different! It's six years of never being different! But this is it! I am done! Don't call me ever again! Forget you know my number! In fact, forget you know my name! And you can drive down the street all you want because I don't live here anymore. This confrontation is great. It's six years coming. But also before this, the way that he says Paris in this like highly emotional way has always bothered me for some reason. Like it's very saccharine where he's like, Paris, you're finally going on that vacation. See, I think his standout line is the joke about Petrovsky, which is perfect. It's like he knows it's serious, but he still can't help but make a joke about this man. Also, he seems upset that she didn't tell him that she was moving to Paris, and he seemingly has no idea who Alexander Petrovsky is, but like, I don't believe that Big hasn't been keeping tabs on Carrie's dating life. I believe like he has little gossip girdies all around the Upper East Side feeding him information. Yeah, you're probably right. Also, if Carrie and Petrovsky were dating, it would make its way to page six, especially since they were both at that very high profile party where Lexi Featherston died. Yeah, I can't believe that Big didn't call her just to be like, hey, so Lexi fell out of a window? That's crazy. I remember going to Monkey Bar with her. <laughs> I realized that while this fight is happening, Raul is just standing outside on the street witnessing <laughs> them yelling at each other. I like to think that he's like, oh shit, he told me to go outside, but like, should I get back in the car and pretend like I can't hear 
this. But it is really satisfying to hear Carrie stand up for herself in a way we've never really heard her do before because it is true that every time she is in a stable relationship, Big comes around again. And it's really insane how much pain this man has caused her between Sex and the City, the first film, and of course his untimely death on And Just Like That. Spoiler alert for... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> season one episode one of and just like that i've listened to the commentary track for this episode and i remember michael patrick king discussing the fact that he was amazed that in the script he wrote like carrie takes a few steps then she runs off which has now become so parodied it's like a tiktok trend i remember michael patrick king being amazed of like she read that note and she did it and it's like yeah that's something that carrie kind of does a lot <laughs> She does some excellent running in American Girl in Paris Part 2 also. Do you remember the paparazzi video from this? Because I do. I remember being so into Sex in the City in this moment. And I don't know if you remember this, but they shot these episodes so close to when they actually premiered. Like, I believe they shot this in December and then that episode came out a month later. But I remember on Entertainment Tonight or something, seeing the argument, not being able to hear the words, I'm like, ooh, this is gonna be so good. Expectations were very high for the series finale of Sex and the City. Bold proclamation, but they pulled it off. This is one of the better series finales. It doesn't really get its due in light of, you know, your Mad Men's, your Six Feet Under, your Breaking Bads, but this was a pretty satisfying ending. So cut to Carrie at dinner with the girls. She's talking about Mr. Big, calling him the boy who cried love. And I'm sure that Samantha, Miranda, and Charlotte are like, I can't wait for this bitch to get to Paris. Like, how is she still talking about Mr. Big? She's literally moving to France with another man. And still, we're all right back here. It's funny. That was my exact thought, too, when I was watching this. Of like, I bet the three of them are like, you know, we'll miss her. But Jesus Christ, we'll never have to hear about Mr. Big again. Sarah Jessica Parker, as Carrie says, well, fuck him. And I never say that word. And it's like, that's right. She doesn't say the F word a lot. I never noticed until this rewatch how empty the restaurant is. Like, it's very pointed. If you look in the background, there are people at the bar. It's like, it's 6 p.m., so therefore no one is eating in a restaurant. Which is funny because now there are articles in, in the year of our Lord 2023 about how it's, it's all about the early reservation these days. Right, like since the pandemic. Okay, so... Carrie changes the subject and says, okay, ladies, and Charlotte immediately starts crying. Charlotte in an excellent Stella McCartney dress. Then Carrie basically is just like, I had a thought today, and that thought was, what if I had never met you guys? If you put a gun to my head, I would have sworn there was a whole speech attached to this line. No. (laughs) No, it's just this line, and then they all look at each other emotionally for about 45 seconds, and then it's like, that's over. (laughs) Then Carrie's like, I gotta go. Bye. Well, Samantha's like, chemo might have kicked me into an early menopause. And we get a good joke from her where she's like, I can't believe these hot flashes. I can barely keep my clothes on. And then is Carrie the one that's like, what was your excuse before? Yes. And of course, Samantha's like, oh, I'm going to miss you, cunt. (laughs) I'm sure Kim Cattrall herself had a lot of fun (laughs) saying the word cunt at Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay, so we get a brief moment where Carrie is back at her apartment. Is this Sonia Rakiel that she's wearing? Yeah, I believe it's head to toe. Okay, this is insane to wear 
on a plane. Like that is a <laughs> six hour flight. And it reminded me of this anecdote about Victoria Beckham being on a transcontinental flight with Tom Ford. Do you know this story? Oh yeah, he like made her sit in like a dress for the whole time. She was dressed to the nines because of course she wanted to get photographed by the paparazzi. And then she went to go change into pajamas and ran into Tom Ford. And he was like, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, I'm going to change into something more comfortable. And he went, no, you're not. And she was like, oh, okay. And then for like 10 hours on a flight from London to LA was just in a very uncomfortable, I imagine, Roland Moray dress. I don't know. See, that's the patriarchy right there. So before she leaves for the airport, she puts her carry necklace into a vintage clutch. Pay attention to this detail, y'all, because it will be (laughs) very important later on. Meanwhile, Samantha has a completely different social engagement that night. She's meeting with the planning committee for some sort of breast cancer fundraiser. You know, your late night cancer benefit meeting. And for whatever reason, Samantha launches into a tirade against the breast cancer awareness ribbon cookies that are being served. I love how everyone at the table's like, yeah, the cookies are bullshit, but they're donated, so we're keeping them. And then somehow, because Samantha... Uh, has made a case for doing something more inspirational for these women. She gets roped into being the keynote speaker, I guess. Here's another thing I noticed in this rewatch, because it does seem when the scene comes that she is doing a keynote speech, but she's just introducing that other woman. It's not like she has to do a whole TED talk. No, it's kind of like the MTV Music Video Awards where they would have like Britney Spears introduce Michael Jackson to then introduce the award. (laughs) Totally. So cut to Carrie arriving at the Plaza Atene and... This is probably the most fun she has in the entire episode. (laughs) She's a true American, just excitedly saying bonjour and merci to everyone she sees. We finally see the Sonia Raikil outfit in all of its glory. She has this very fabulous set of Vivian Westwood luggage that recently reemerged on In Just Like That. And she goes to the front desk and is like, Gemma Pell, Carrie Bradshaw. And then obviously the guy like starts speaking to her in French and she's like, oh, Hold on. I don't actually speak French, but it's like, obviously. Yeah, anyone who's been to Paris as an American, even if you are doing your best bonjour, merci, like they can swiftly tell like, you're a fucking American. I'm just gonna start speaking English to you. But she does the annoying New Yorker thing where it's like, I'm not an American, I'm a New Yorker. So it's like, I'm a little less worse than what you're expecting. Alexander is in the lounge with his arm draped around a hot, young, smoking woman. Smoking hot and smoking woman. (laughs) She's smoking hot and she's smoking. Carrie is a little taken aback until he introduces her as his daughter, Chloe. Which it's like, you see as the audience member watching this, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, did I just get to Paris and my boyfriend's cheating on me? And then it's like, oh, this is my daughter. And then it's like dropped that entire thing. She's like, oh, excuse me. So Chloe, too, starts speaking very quickly in French to Carrie because Carrie has addressed her in French. And Carrie seems very shocked that because she is speaking French to people, that they are speaking back to her in that language. A lot of the tension in these episodes is about the fact that Carrie cannot speak French, which wouldn't actually be a huge problem 
I feel like most people in Paris do speak at least a little English, but obviously there has to be tension for her to get back to New York and back with Mr. Big and all of that. A bigger problem for Carrie is less the language barrier and more the fact that she has nothing to fucking do in Paris. (laughs) Also, Carrie really cannot read the room or like the energy of Petrovsky's daughter because Carrie is giving off like band camp, theater camp energy, but for Paris. But to be fair, this girl is a full bitch and Carrie does seem a bit thrown by it, which is also a little bit weird just considering like Carrie would run in the same circles as like snobby it girl types like this but you know it's a american european culture divide that they're establishing carrie gets excited about wanting to see the eiffel tower and chloe just like shuts her down and it was like ugh, it's hideous well now that it has the lights on it which i'm sorry i would trust the opinion of someone who's lived there for decades and not a tourist who's talked about going to paris forever and just has never gone. True, but I want to know, do Parisians think that the Eiffel Tower is tacky? New Yorkers don't think that the Statue of Liberty is tacky. We just like accept that it's there. We hate Times Square. Yeah, I mean, France's Times Square might be the Eiffel Tower. I don't know. Someone let us know. Alexander has to hang out with his daughter all afternoon because that's all the time that she has for him. And Carrie's like, don't worry. I mean, I got the Eiffel Tower. I've got seven suitcases to unpack. Like, I'm good. So she goes upstairs to her suite, which is fabulous, and contains like a $2,000 flower arrangement. And then she walks out onto the balcony, and this might be the campiest moment in all of sex in the city, which is the moment where she turns around and sees the Eiffel Tower and shrieks, like does that mouse squirrel shriek. And then she jumps up and down and starts clapping. It's very Emily in Paris. (laughs) Yeah. It is then 10 hours later, Carrie is in that incredible Versace couture outfit that Michael Patrick King blessedly allowed Patricia Field to put Sarah Jessica Parker in, even though there is no logical sense for Carrie to be wearing that outfit at that moment, have brought it from New York or procured it in Paris in the last few hours. This gown probably costs as much as Carrie's annual salary, but you know, who knows where it came from? Maybe Alexander Petrovsky is a close friend of Donatella as well. Also, is the piano score that's playing at the beginning of the scene, I swear it's the piece that Petrovsky wrote for Carrie. I do not remember. So Carrie is waiting for Petrovsky, she falls asleep. He wakes her up and goes down on her in her Versace gown. Does he really go down on her? I don't know. He's trying to get underneath all of the layers. That's my question to you. I think he's counting the layers. I don't think he's trying to go down on her. And if he is, I have like completely misunderstood this scene for the past like 20 years. Meanwhile, in New York, Harry and Charlotte are filling out the paperwork so they can adopt a baby. Harry's like, this is annoying. And Charlotte's like, God is sending us a baby. We just have to fill out all of these forms. They're debating the merits of private adoption versus getting a baby from China, of which they are doing both simultaneously. Yeah, Harry seems annoyed about the paperwork of private adoption, but then also annoyed that it takes forever to get a kid from China. Honestly, going through all that seems utterly terrible. Terrible, but good on them. And they seemingly got a child in the span of a few months. 
So good on them. So over at Samantha's, she is practicing her speech for the breast cancer benefit, but it is boring and cliche, and Smith Jared is obviously not into it. Kim Cattrall is so good at playing a bad actress. Like when she's Annabelle Bronstein or when she's trying to give a bad, inspiring speech, she's so, so good. It's true. When Smith Jared's like, you know, the best speeches in AA come from the heart. And she's like, this is a black tie benefit. We aren't chilling at P. Diddy's crib. (laughs) Well, that's because he said the best AA speakers keep it real. Oh, right. (laughs) But also chilling at P. Diddy's crib has a bit of a different meaning now. And then Samantha has this line that's like, you know AA, I know PR. Very funny. So it's the next day in Paris. Or actually, it's been a week. They jump a week ahead. Because Carrie's like, I'm feeling good enough about my French that I'm going to take myself shopping. Carrie enters Dior and we get her falling in Dior. Falling in public is always the worst thing that you could do. But falling in Dior in France, like that's that's a horror story. Big and then also Carrie are kind of out of character in these episodes. Like the fact that she doesn't vibe with Petrovsky's daughter, the fact that she's falling into your it it has happened to her once or twice throughout the series but like she's she's very klutzy in paris it's because she left new york she only makes sense there she doesn't make sense anywhere else every time she leaves actually something horrible happens whether it's abu dhabi or mexico or los angeles whatever what would you do would you shop like carrie or just immediately leave and never come back It's hard to say. I mean, I don't think I could ever truly shop like Carrie for financial reasons. Although this is Galliano era Dior, so not the worst investment. I know. Seeing those 2004 era bags in the display of the store, I was like, ooh, shit, yeah. I know. If I were a fashion time traveler. He hadn't been fired yet. Those were the good old days. And then she goes back to the hotel to tell Alexander all about it. And to add insult to injury, she loses her carry necklace. Right, because everything goes everywhere. And even though the bag is a million years old, she does not think that perhaps uh, the necklace is merely lost in the lining. It must be somewhere. Don't give away no. the episode. That reveal doesn't even happen until the second episode. I'm a slut for spoilers. By now, you guys know that about me. Um, but this is beginning to show the upcoming discord between Petrovsky and Carrie, right? That he's on the phone... He's doing his own thing. He's not really processing what she's saying. I mean, he hears that she lost her her necklace. He's, he's like, are you sad because you don't have insurance on this very expensive necklace? I'm sure it is that you lost. And she's like, no, 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 it's not about that. My main takeaway from watching these episodes again is that I am on Petrovsky's side. This man is just working. Like the central problem is that he has a job and she doesn't have a job. And she's come at the absolute worst time that she could come if her expectation was just to have like him chaperone her all day. All of her girlfriends have lives at this moment, which is funny because when the movie happens, they conveniently don't have jobs or other expectations for well, their Samantha lives. Samantha does. But really the move would have been for Samantha or Charlotte to join Carrie in Paris so she wouldn't be alone. So because she's so upset about this necklace, she then decides to wander the streets. To be fair, I once did go to Paris in January because I was 
supposed to meet a friend and that friend bailed. And so I did have a very Carrie-esque experience. Oh my God. (laughs) And it's the worst. I totally understand her. Unlike Carrie, I didn't stare at a group of women talking and chatting in a cafe and then get miffed when they all realize someone's staring at them. And then understandably, like these four girls stare stare back at Carrie like, what the fuck are you looking at us for? Our girl like fully looks like a Margaret Keene painting in this scene. (laughs) You don't want to look out the window of the cafe and see that looking back at you. Also, just get an international SIM card for your cell phone. That's the other thing is Carrie is phoneless. Well, she could have just called Miranda from her hotel but I guess she was running away from Petrovsky. There are a million solutions to all of the hiccups and the problems that Carrie has in this episode, but we know why this is happening. She needs to be ejected from Paris back to New York. Absolutely. So she calls Miranda, which wouldn't have been my first choice if I was regretting going to Paris, but fine. She tells her that she lost her necklace and we get the backstory of where she found the infamous Carrie necklace. Yeah, at a flea market. And so Miranda, of course, is like, just come home. (laughs) She's like, no, no, it's fine. It's just... Harder than I thought. I don't speak the language. It's cold. It's rainy. It's like, yeah, man. (laughs) And this is where we find out that she's only been there for a week. It's like, girl, are you okay? Like, if it's cold and rainy, just like stay in your gorgeous suite and like fucking order room service. Like, you're living my dream. Read a book. Yeah, you don't have to go to every museum twice. Also, it's like, I don't believe that you did that if you were just there for a week. Do you know how many museums there are in Paris? Very true. Anyway. I think the main point of this conversation is we learn something about Carrie that we've never known in in these six seasons, which is that she confides to Miranda that she keeps imagining what it would be like if she had come here with Big, and that is just something that she does when things aren't going well in her relationships. I guess we're left to believe that when things were shitty with Aiden, when they were engaged, she was just looking down at her finger being like, or looking down at her necklace (laughs) and being like, what would it be like to be engaged to Pig? Well, he's always been the one that got away. The reason why it's not working out with Petrovsky is because he has a museum show opening in like two seconds. And he hasn't mounted a show in a very, very long time. So any empathetic partner, especially a partner who's also in a creative field, should be able to be like, I get it. Every time like he has to go, she's like, oh, God, not you leaving me again. It's like, okay, girl, so manipulative. These curators need to talk to you again? So back in New York, Samantha is at the benefit, and she is obviously having a hot flash on stage. And to add insult to injury, she is completely bombing. No one is into her speech. So she decides to go off script. Which is where Samantha is the best. Although, have you ever noticed how weird her pronunciation of couture is here? (laughs) No. (laughs) Revisit that. Or maybe we can drop a clip of it here. And if any of you are having hot flashes like I am, you deserve a fucking medal. Bad enough I lose my hair, now I have my face running down my couture. Couture. Uh, why did you say that like Caitlyn Jenner? Because <laughs> if I'm doing an accent, I can only do one accent. 
It's so true. Is she acting like she doesn't have cancer? Because that's the reason that she's even doing the introductory speech anyway, is because she's like, I don't want that cookie and I had cancer. The point of her speech is like, the woman who has cancer could be the woman sitting next to you, the this, the that, which is all so that she can be like, ah, fuck it, it's me. And then she takes her wig off. Wouldn't you know it, all the other women take their wigs off too. And I'm always so proud of Samantha in this moment. And so is Smith, which is really cute. Yeah. So Charlotte is over at Carrie's apartment, getting her mail, I guess. Getting her mail and then also picking up the recommendation letter that Carrie wrote for the adoption process. And Charlotte looks to the bed, and this made me so fucking mad, this rewatch, and sees Carrie's laptop on the goddamn bed. I get what it's supposed to symbolize, but it's like, hey, is this also why you're fucking bored in Paris? Like, I get you don't have your column anymore, but like, I don't know, maybe start writing a novel. Yeah, I know. There's no reason you need your laptop in Paris. Well, she left it to represent that a part of herself has been lost, right? A fundamental part of what makes Carrie, Carrie. Also, this is a common thing, right? Like a lot of people end up marrying like rich guys and then like, stop working like their husbands like actually don't want them to work yeah that also made me think about like what is the money situation between Petrovsky and Carrie because she's there not working as previously established yeah it's weird but it's like we don't know if like she has his credit card like did he buy all that stuff in Dior I don't know he did it because she talks about how she has to basically put her credit card on ice this is to establish that now she is basically just a side piece of a thinly veiled Dan Flavin. Well, of course. I mean, every time we talk about a Petrovsky episode, we have to talk about his art. But thank God Charlotte is there when Big happens to call Carrie's phone once again. And my favorite trope in movies and TV is that things go to directly to voicemail after one ring <laughs> and one ring only. Big says, you know, I know you're gone. I don't even know if you're checking these messages, but I can't lose you again. I love you. And then that's what gets Charlotte's attention. Like, love is Charlotte's kryptonite. Like, no matter how toxic the person is, if they're in love, Charlotte's on board. Yes. Like, it's very Kris Jenner in that respect. Oh, fully Kris Jenner. But this is one of those moments in the episode that feels really magical. It feels like everything is coming together. Charlotte is in the right place at the right time. Big calls at the right time. And of course, Charlotte decides to bring him to lunch with the girls. Before we get into the big scene, I just want to discuss this one moment. I don't know if you noticed this. It's this pre-lap dialogue that before Big walks in, Charlotte's like, and her computer was just sitting. <laughs> on her best. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that because I, I noticed that as well this time. But I love that like that's the line that's supposed to signify for Miranda and Samantha of like our girl just isn't herself. And it's like I know I just bitched that Carrie should have brought her laptop to Paris but it's like yeah, the laptop was an instrument for Carrie's work, but it's not like Carrie took her laptop everywhere. So Mr. Big strolls through the door, kind of looking like a bit of a puppy dog because he knows that these bitches hate him, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the direction in the scene is great, right? It goes from Charlotte, who is rooting for him, Samantha, who's kind of chaotic neutral, and then to Miranda, who's just still giving him the fucking stink eye. Well, Samantha's giving him the stink eye too. And we have to note that Samantha looks fully insane. <laughs> yes. Like she's wearing 
a hat that has the shape of a Kangol beret, but it looks like it's made of hemp or something. Like it looks like something that one could procure at a store that sells bongs and like Grateful Dead posters. And she has gigantic grape hoop earrings as well. This outfit is truly like a riddle that I've never solved, but it's so perfect. It's so Pat Field. It brings comedy to this scene where there isn't supposed to be any, which is funny. The best Pat Field outfits, especially with Samantha, is like, is it genius or is it giving lesbian aunt who's also a substitute art teacher? Yeah, it's definitely giving that. Miranda came out of nowhere with this bold eyeshadow look. That I did not see coming either. Did you notice that? She's wearing like blue eyeshadow, like silvery blue eyeshadow. Yeah, in those moments, I wonder if that's a Cynthia choice, if that's a makeup department. If it was a makeup department choice, if Cynthia was just like, whatever, we got one episode left, like have at it. I think they were amping everything up a little bit for these last two episodes or a lot in the case of certain Carrie outfits. Charlotte is playing good cop. Samantha is bad cop. Miranda, silent cop. I remember the first time I watched this episode and it's written this way. You're like, ooh, what's Miranda going to say? She's not reacting. Where are we going with this? Everything about this scene is brilliant. Let's just play a clip of it here. Well, God knows I've made a lot of mistakes with Carrie. I fucked it up many times. I know that. Look, I need your advice. You three know her better than anyone. You're the loves of her life. And a guy's just lucky to come in fourth. But I do love her. And if you think I have the slightest chance, I'll be on the next plane to Paris. I'll roam the streets until I find her. I'll do anything. But if you think that she really is happy. Well, I, I wouldn't want to wreck that for her. And I'll be history. Go get our girl. I think that the reason that Big is the one is because of the line, the three of you are the loves of her life and a guy is just lucky to come in third. He is the only Carrie boyfriend to understand this construct. Yes. Cynthia Nixon's delivery of Go Get Our Girl will never not give me chills. Like I'm getting chills now just thinking about it. It's almost like my version of ASMR or something. Like I just need to watch it on a loop. Go get our girl for 10 hours. (laughs) (laughs) The 10 hour version. In our, and just like that, discussions we've had for the past two seasons, we have remarked, me more than you, about how out of character the characters feel in that series and it's interesting to juxtapose it with the last two episodes of sex in the city because there are so many moments that are outsized for the world of sex in the city that we were used to but with these two episodes they all feel in character for sure everyone is falling in line this is the other crazy thing when you rewatch the original series is how fast they can go through story points in just a matter of scenes, as opposed to in just like that where they take an entire season. Miranda hears the Carrie's upset, sees Big, and then is like, that's enough for me, go get our girl. Very efficient. So now we're back in Paris. Logistically, I do appreciate how on point the time difference is, because it's like, yeah, in the afternoon in in New York, (laughs) it would be evening. It would be cocktail hour in Paris. Carrie's in a fabulous strapless ostrich dress. This is like what I imagined her Paris trip to be. 
and Alexander Petrovsky presents her with a new necklace. It's not the Carrie necklace, but it is a fancy necklace, although pretty ugly, TBH. Or is that just my read? I don't know what the material is because she's like, is this a diamond necklace? And he's like, uh, let's just say don't lose it. So that's a yes. That's affirmative. He promises to be more present once the exhibit opens. And she's like, great. I think we've turned a leaf. Like, of course, I had a bad first week, but it's all looking up now. And then Petrovsky's friends come by and they all start speaking in French, which as we've established, guys, Carrie doesn't speak French. She doesn't understand the language nor really speak it. And then the episode ends kind of abruptly. Over really bad French rap, we just see that Carrie feels incredibly left out. She's like, I don't understand what these people are saying. I don't understand what the rap that's playing in this hotel lobby is saying. And I'm I'm Carrie Bratch. I'm all about my words. How many uh, Manolos are we going to give this episode? Well, you go first. Eight and a half. See, I'm going to give it nine and a half because look, the ending isn't as satisfying as most Sex in the City episodes because so many things are unresolved. However, there are two really top tier scenes in this episode, the fight with Mr. Big and the scene with Mr. Big and the girls. Like these are Mr. Big's best moments. And we get incredible fashion, extravagant fashion, Samantha's big moment. The ending of this episode is so exciting for the possibility and the promise of what's going to happen in the following week. And as we will discover, like, it completely pays off. Also, this episode has her fall in Dior, which I think is just one of the most iconic moments on the show. In my head, I'm just imagining her falling on a loop. Is Carrie a clumsy person? No, no, she's not generally. Miranda is the clumsy person. If anyone's clumsy, it's her. All right, guys, that's it for American Girl in Paris Part 1. If you would like to hear our thoughts about American Girl in Paris Part 2, you can actually hear it right now because we have released that on our Patreon as well as our Apple Podcast subscriptions. If you would like to subscribe there or our Patreon, you can hear all of our thoughts about the final episode of Sex in the City. And really, it's a full circle moment, isn't it, Chelsea? I feel like in Just Like That makes a lot of sense in light of the last episode of the Sex in the City series. They definitely referenced it a lot on And Just Like That. All right, guys, we'll see you there. Or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> Whatever you want. All right, bye, guys. Happy holidays. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs>